0: This episode of The Sportsman's Empire is brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Since 1952, Interstate Batteries has been evoking compassion and a trustworthy spirit into the surrounding communities. Interstate Batteries is a mission-driven company fueled by purpose and guided by their values. If you need help locating a specific battery, stop into your local Interstate Batteries retail store and speak with a battery specialist. They even offer cell phone repairs. Interstate Batteries outrageously dependable welcome to the journey where we are going to talk about a lifestyle with dogs and throw in a few life lessons along the way whether you're a hound hunter a bird dog enthusiast running setters pointers retrievers or a flat out running dog junkie this podcast is for you I am your host Heath Hyatt a certified law enforcement canine trainer with over three decades of personal and professional training and handling experience. It's time for me to pay it forward. So grab your leads, lace up those boots, and come and join me on this lifelong process of teaching, training, and learning called The Journey. Do you like to be outdoors like I do? Hunting, fishing, hiking? If so, onyx is the app for you i've been a loyal onyx user since 2013 it's the one app i can honestly say i use daily while hunting i know where i'm at at all times i mark trails feeding bedding areas and the list goes on when i'm traveling i use it to pre-scout all the new places that i'm blessed to hunt while out west hiking yellowstone i knew exactly where every trail went and the difficulty of each one. And here's a secret. I even use it to mark my favorite fishing spots. It's been a game changer at work. I've used it numerous times to get in touch with property owners. I even landed MedFlight one time in the middle of nowhere using the GPS coordinates. Onex has so many great features and tools, you can literally use it for everything. It is by far the best mapping app on the market and hey, it's Houndsman XP approved. So get started with OnX today using HXP 20 and know where you stand. It's a cold and blustery Saturday morning here. Uh, got down in the single digits last night. I'm literally sitting here watching Chloe's got all the horses blanketed up and there's a wind swirl going across the top of the ridge. It's snow covered. It is cold in Virginia today, I can tell you that. I'd like to get out <coughs> and get the dogs out a little bit and do some trash breaking, but uh, at the high today I think is 15, so I'm going to just not go. I know that's bad of me. but So, there's something that's been on my mind for a while. Um and I know that a lot of people do it especially in the coon hunt world the competition coon hunting world and I know that um I have got a couple of semen pups from different people over the years and I really thought about getting one of my dogs collected but um, I'm afraid something'll happen to him and then maybe I want to breed him later on so through a mu- mutual friend which is Ariel Paldunas, y'all heard her on here. She was on here a couple weeks ago. Um, I don't know when this show will air, but so Ariel has put me in contact with one of her friends, um, Aaron Dove, and Aaron is a vet, and Aaron's clinic has started to do this process. So Aaron and I have kind of been texting back and forth a little bit about the process and how it works. One of my biggest hang-ups is why I've never done it is one you've got to go to tech and I don't have that type of money to put into it because it's, it's, uh, it's expensive and two storage. Um, I know some of the guys here actually use some of the dairy farms and just put it in the liquid nitrogen and keep it there. Um, they have some access that I don't. So storage has been one of the biggest holdups or hangups for me Um, And I'm not saying that I've ever had a dog that I needed collected either, and not sure that I do now, but it's just a thought process. So today, we're going to talk about the AI process. Um, Aaron is going to run us through um, the do's and the don'ts, the process, what we need to know, timing, everything like that, and just educate us um, in case you are thinking about it and this is something that you're interested in. So like I said, this has been on me for several years, actually... I would have liked to have got ring collected um, Of course, he's been past, he's dead for five years now, and I kind of kicked myself in the butt for not doing it, but at the time that I checked with on him, and Aaron, maybe you can elaborate on this, the only place to store it at that time was in Michigan, and that's you know that's been 10, 10 years ago or more, so I, I don't know if that's the facts or not, but anyway, Aaron, thank you for taking your m- uh, Saturday morning and coming on with me and telling us about this process.
1: Absolutely. So um, my name's is Erin Dove. I am a graduate of Mississippi State Vet School of 2018 class and prior to that I went to Potomac State in West Virginia University and that's where I actually met my husband Chris Dove who got me into the hound hunting world. Um, I really didn't have any background in hounds before then and then met him and went hunting with him and fell in love with it. So that's kind of how I got started. But, um, yeah, I guess today we're going to kind of touch on one, collection, and then two, like using your frozen semen and how to best do that because I think that's a pretty important thing as well. So um, go ahead.
0: So I, I just want to, I don't want to cut you off, but it's so okay. funny that um, during a conversation mm-hmm. with Ariel or Garrett, like, it is, this shows you guys, and I've talked about this on the last couple of podcasts, how small the hound world is. So Garrett and Aaron actually were in school together, and, you know, of course, due to classes and whatever, but, um, you know, Garrett, you, y'all have heard Garrett on, he's talked about the, the, the puppies and, and whelping and everything with us, and then we've talked about heat stroke and snake bites and stuff like that, bees, um, but it's so fun, you know, Garrett hunts with us, and we're so blessed to have him because a lot of times he can do some doctrine on the tailgate, um, Mm -hmm. that looks professional because we're not professionals and Garrett takes care of it. But yeah, just kind of let you guys know that how small this world is that, you know, even though we don't, I don't know Aaron and I do because we've got a common, I mean, we've got two common denominators, Ariel and Garrett. Yes, it
1: really is a small world. And I feel like it's a world that we all kind of get to know each other through dogs. So it's a little bit crazy that way.
0: <laughs> yeah. So tell us, Um. so you said Chris got you, took you hunting. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, like what, where were you at? What, we don't have to tell us like the location state. Um, are you from West Virginia originally?
1: Yeah, we're both from West Virginia. Um, we grew up like 30 minutes apart, didn't meet each other till college. And uh, the first, actually, I think it was one of our first dates, he <laughs> took me coon hunting. So, um, <laughs> And it wasn't an easy hunt by any means. It was like the middle of the cold winter, and I had no idea what to expect. And, of course, the dogs had to go pretty far trailing a coon up to the top of the mountain, and it was a den tree. So the first experience was kind of like... Is this what it's like all the time? And but then after going, you know, when it was a little bit better, I realized it was a lot more fun than that. So
0: Well, but if you got if that was your first date and you went like I bet you he was thinking, "Man, I'm I'm in the money now. Like, this is good."
1: Yeah, he well, he, now he's like, "Oh, I'm I'm lucky enough to marry a vet too." So he's really in the in the good there
0: (laughs) i have begged maddie i have begged her to become a vet and she just she loves the dog she loves animals period but she just can't do the blood like the and we've had to put a couple dogs down over the years because of cancer and so on so forth and the last one we did was our giant schnauzer and it i mean it hurt us all like you know we never you never like that and after that, she's like, Dad, I just, I can't, I can't do I can't be that. And I'm like, Maddie, come on. I'll help you. Like, we'll get through it.
1: <laughs> There's definitely the ups and downs <clears throat> in the, for sure. So
0: so was Chris running blue dogs back then?
1: He was. Um, he was mostly coon hunting. He did bear hunt from the time he was about 17. He's bear hunted, but he's been a coon hunter since he was able to walk his uncle got him into it. And back then he had, you know, a couple mixed dogs, plot Walker mix and a black and tan blue tick mix. And um, he even had a red bone at one point, but he got into the blue ticks when he was in high school. He got his first purebred registered blue ticks and he just happened into some really good dogs and stuck with them from there.
0: Right. And so you were in college, so you said you were yes. in college when you met him. So y- y'all were <clears throat> going to college when he when you went on your first hunt.
1: Yes. Yep.
0: And so, how long? How long have you guys, or how long have you, have you been involved in the hound world since? So, so? that
1: was 2011. So it's been uh, going on 13, 13 years, years
0: now. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, now, did you guys so? I know you had to do some changing of schools. So, did you stay involved in hounds um, through the whole process of going through vet school and all, or did you take some time off? And how did that work?
1: I did, um, and he'll tell you. I even, whenever I could at night, we would go coon hunting together. I would try to balance studying for vet school and going hunting, but I did do a good bit of hunting with him in Mississippi and. Going through the swamps was a bit different than the mountains, but <laughs> we enjoyed it. We had a lot of fun, and then when we moved back to West Virginia, we really focused more on the bear again. Um, he, you know, bear hunted and coon hunted before, but now we're mostly bear hunting. So,
0: mm-hmm. so what what drove you guys for the, the switch in to stay towards the bear instead of the coon? I know why I did it, but what, what was you guys' reason?
1: I think more like the adventure and more probably the adrenaline rush for bear hunting. You know, it's always action-packed, and I mean, we get we still go coon hunting from time to time, don't get me wrong, but the ability to, to take more than one dog is kind of nice. You know, when we're coon hunting, we like to focus on singling out dogs more, whereas bear hunting, you can take, you know, most of your pack and get them all out, and I feel like we get to do them all more justice because we get to take them all out more frequently.
0: Right. All right. So you you graduated from vet school. Um, now, are you working in a clinic or is are you running your own clinic?
1: I'm working in a clinic. Um, all creatures great and small in Elkins with Dr. Lanny, and I've wanted to do the reproductive stuff, the collection and freezing for a while. And finally, you know, settled into Elkins, and I think that's where we're gonna stay and make this our home. So we uh, got Dr. Lamy to send myself and my tech, Sarah, to a education on it um, with Zoetis Freeze Center training and really get the best of the best training on freezing and using semen. So we did that down in Texas and came back and got
0: everything started yeah Garrett and I have talked about this because that's kind of where I started um, picking his brain about it um, and he he said that you need some type of training which that was his hold up to was the training to do it um, so I'm really uh, excited to know that that you are doing it and you're not that I mean it may it may take me uh, three four could be four hours but maybe three. Up there, it's been a while since I've been to Elkins, and I live. Yeah, it's probably gonna take me four hours now, but um, I'm excited to know that there's somebody that's pretty close. Uh, There is somebody in North Carolina. I've been referred down there to her a couple times, and I don't remember her name or the clinic. Uh, But it's about the same drive either way. So,
1: yeah, and I think you know, there's there's several places that do the freezing and and collection and storage, but I think it's important, too, that you look into them and really find out what their background and training is, because um, if you do it incorrectly or don't really have a full knowledge basic can be pretty detrimental. You could lose your semen. You could have it done wrong, and at the end of the day, it's important to make sure you know if you're going to use someone, make sure they have the credentials to know what they're doing.
0: Right. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's just get into it. I'm I'm going to let you kind of have the floor here. I'm probably going to ask some questions because I do have some questions. Um, just tell us about the process, uh, what it takes, what we need. Just walk us through the process. You're going to know better than I ever will.
1: Sure. Yeah. Uh, first thing is, um, a lot of people don't think about getting their dog collected until they're older, and they're thinking, okay, he's getting older, he may pass away, and I want to get some semen frozen on them. And I think that's probably the biggest mistake we do see. Um, I've collected dogs that are 9, 10 years old, and they have great semen quality, but you are going to take a chance the older they get that the quality goes down. So the ideal age is actually to collect them between 2 and 6 years old. That's when they're most fertile. That's when their semen quality is going to be the best. So if you're thinking about doing this, then you want to start thinking about that when you've got a nice young dog that's got really good, he's a really good prospect, and you're thinking that you might want to use him in your breeding program. Um, that's kind of the time to think about doing it. And don't get me wrong, if you've got an older dog and you didn't think about it, it's still worth trying and still worth seeing if we can freeze it, but we do have the best success between the ages of 2 and 6. Um as far as the process goes, you we bring the dog in um, and collect them and the best way to do that is if we do have a female in heat um, to collect them off of. Uh, that gives them a little bit better sample. So usually we'll either kind of try to time it out to when you've got a female in heat or your friend does or sometimes, you know, multiple members of our staff have females too so we can help you out with that sometimes. But Um, and that's going to give us, like, the best sample and usually the best concentration as far as that goes. Um, And then what we do is we have to analyze that sample after we collect it. So that means checking the motility, and that's not just, you know, Are they swimming around? We want them to be swimming forward in one direction. Uh, If a sperm's sitting there swimming in circles, it's not going to make it to the right place. So that's important, too, is not just how modal it is, but how progressively modal it is, is what they call it. And we want those sperm moving forward with direction. And then we check the concentration. So some dogs are going to be more concentrated than others. Um, The more concentrated your dog is and the more of a sample we get, the more straws we get, more breeding doses. So that's another thing I've ran into with several people who have said, hey, how many breeding doses Mm -hmm. do I get with a collection? I can't tell you that until we collect your dog. And if somebody's telling you that we're going to get four breeding doses, don't believe them because they're probably not doing it right. You need to know the concentration before you can make a breeding dose. So, it's all dependent on each dog.
0: So, let me I just want to ask a quick question about that. So, what is let's say that my dog is in tip-top shape, he I get you between 2 and 6 years old um, on a normal collection what how many do and, and I know you can't say cuz each dog's different, but what would be an average How many breedings would I get um, for one collection?
1: Yeah, average, and and that's for like your average size hound, um, we're probably going to get anywhere from three to five, three to seven breedings. Mm -hmm. Um, So usually on the average, there are two straws as a breeding dose. Um,
0: that's the second question I was going to ask is I heard, I've heard a lot of the guys say that they're using two straws.
1: Most of the time. Um, if a dog's not very concentrated, he may take three, even four straws. Mm -hmm. Um, I have two brothers actually that I've collected at home and one of them is usually super concentrated. I have two straws on him and the other, he takes three breeding straws, three straws for a breeding dose most times. So it is dependent, and like I said, those are two brothers, so it can be completely different, even being that closely related.
0: mm-hmm all right, so all right, so we get them collected. Uh, how long does this process take? and I know so you're saying that it's it's best to have a female that's in heat to bring with you or or maybe you guys have one. Um, so I come up to your clinic what do i what can I expect? like what's going to be the process?
1: <clears throat> yeah, so we will we'll do a complete exam on the dog. Um, as I was kind of taught in vet school, an animal has to be productive before they can be reproductive. So if they have a health issue, then that can definitely affect their reproduction. Um, We're checking out their prostate to make sure they don't have enlargement. We're checking to make sure we don't see any like testicular tumors or anything weird going on there. And then just checking the overall health of your dog. Make sure we don't have any heart murmurs. We don't have any sicknesses going on that could potentially affect
0: that. That's sperm quality. And there's two things you told me that I need to make sure that I've done pre bringing them up which is an updated rabies yes and the
1: brucellosis test Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) so brucellosis is a disease that's transferred between dogs when breeding and that's going to cause infertility it can cause abortions in females so we want to make sure that the dog doesn't have that because it can be transferred even through frozen semen. Mm-hmm. And the last thing you want is to not know if your dog has brucellosis, get them collected and start using the semen on a bunch of females and then none of them take and now they're infertile. So
0: so if I, let's say that I don't have that done, is that something that I can do at your clinic or if I go get a dog collected, is that something that I can do there on the day of or is that something that's we, that has to be done prior
1: We can do it the day of, but I do tell people, you know, in the rare case that your dog would test positive, we do have to throw out all that semen. So you're still paying for the freeze and everything, and then it all gets thrown out. So I usually recommend you do it prior with your local vet, and they can send those tests out easily. Usually we get results back in three to seven days, and that way you know it's negative, and you're not taking that risk. Like I said, it's not a super common thing to see in dogs, but it does happen. And I would hate for someone to spend all of that money and then it'd be positive and we have to throw it all out.
0: Right. Okay. All right. So I'm up there <clears throat> and is this a 30 minute process? Is this a, an hour process? Like what, what are you looking at yeah. time-wise?
1: So after we get the collection, um, the analysis usually takes about 20 to 30 minutes. So we will do that motility. We'll do the morphology, which checks to make sure they're normal anatomy on the sperm. Um, you can have great motility. And if we have a bunch of abnormal sperm, then that's not going to fertilize anything. So we have to check that too. And then we're checking the concentration and, um, At that point, you know, we're done the initial analysis, um, and we have to equilibrate that semen, which means kind of start to bring it temperature down slowly. Um, If we were to put it in the nitrogen right away, it's going to get cold shock, and we're going to destroy all those cells. So that process takes about three to four hours, but after that initial 30 minutes, Evaluation, which we give you that initial evaluation, then you get to go home. Um, you, we're done with your dog at that point. The rest of it is just processing the semen.
0: Okay. Yeah, I, ne- I never really thought about that, but it makes complete sense that you definitely don't just want don't want a shock with the cold temps of the the nitrate. I mean, I didn't never thought about that.
1: Yeah. So it's uh, we're basically using like a refrigeration unit and dropping it down to temperature that way. Um, and then we will recheck after those three, it's a three to four hour process there. We'll recheck motility on that sperm, make sure it's still good as it's cooling. And then we will start the process of putting it into the nitrogen. So,
0: Okay. All right. Now, so you've collected it, you've got it to temp. Does this stuff, does it stay in house with you or do you send it away? So
1: we will go ahead and freeze it, and we'll usually we have at least a partial straw, so one that didn't get filled all the way, and that's the one we're going to pull out, thaw out, and see how it froze. Um, because some dogs will have really great semen quality, but they just don't freeze well, and there's not, unfortunately, a whole lot we can do for those dogs. They just don't freeze well for some reason, um, but we do check and see what the quality is of that freeze that gives us after that, we can calculate the breeding doses because it's not just based on the concentration, but it's based on that motility after it froze. So we're multiplying the percent motility by the concentration. So we're seeing how many live sperm we get with the frozen dose. Um, And then at that point, we will put it into our tank and we hold it there usually for a week or two till we have a couple, two to four dogs to send out at a time and then we'll send it to long-term storage.
0: And, and where does that go?
1: So we send to Zoetis a facility in Missouri mm. and they have a giant facility. They store all kinds of semen there from horses to cows to dogs um, but Everything there is labeled, everything's labeled appropriately, so we know exactly whose semen this is, which collection it was, and they will, they put these in giant tanks that are kind of on scales, Um, so they're constantly monitoring the amount of nitrogen in them, and there's someone at those facilities 24-7. So that's kind of the nice part about what we do, is we use them for long-term storage, that way you have less of a risk for the tank going bad. Um, Some of the smaller facilities, you know, you're not having someone there 24-7 to check on these things, and something may happen to the tank, and it's too late, and then your semen has gone. So I think that's kind of the bonus of being able to send it out to a big facility is that they do have the staff to kind of constantly keep an eye on those tanks.
0: Well, so that leads me to a shipping question because <clears throat> um, I know Garrett and I talked about it. Um, I worked at Tractor Supply for a couple years, and you know we talk about the shots. How if they're not handled right, they're in it. They're they're basically like shooting water in your dogs. So right. when you guys ship it to them, is there like a? I mean, I, I guess there can't be a guarantee because if you lose it, you lose it. But are you guys shipping it on dry ice? How do you ship it, and how do you maintain the integrity of that during the the trip out and the trip back?
1: Yeah, so the Zoetis will actually send us the shipping container, and it's... uh, So they basically infuse a bunch of nitrogen into these foam Mm -hmm. um, things into this tank, and so it's called a dry shipping container because there's not actual liquid in it. Um, It's all nitrogen vapors that are in there mm-hmm. and we mm-hmm. put those into that 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 shipping container will keep cold for like up to seven days we they overnight it to us we put the semen in it and we overnight it back so we're minimizing the amount of time that that's out mm-hmm. shipping you know there can always be there's no guarantees with shipping as you know because FedEx <clears> and <throat> they mess things up but we've had great success with it so far. No, no issues, knock on wood, but
0: right. And another, so I guess this leads to the, the, my next thing is I know that me being where I'm at tech is the only place that will do the, the AI itself. So does that something that comes back to you and you do that part as well?
1: We do. Um, right now we do surgical AIs with frozen Um, So that leads to another important point is that if you're using frozen semen, Mm -hmm. you want to either do a surgical AI or a transcervical AI. That's going to give you the best success. Um, Using like a vaginal insemination with frozen semen has just been shown to not be very beneficial. And a lot of times we're not getting those dogs bred. Um, That's because the cervix in a dog is kind of... The point that is it's a barrier to that uterus and to those eggs, and once we get past that, the semen are much more successful. So, that's that's another point I needed to make is that when you are using that semen, you want to make sure you use it in a different way than like fresh semen mm-hmm. would be used.
0: Well, yeah, and I. <clears throat> I had forgot that, but I'd heard several guys tell me that their dog, they'd had it surgically. So can you kind of explain what that process is? Um, I, I, I kind of know because I've heard them talk about it before, but like if I was going to do that and you're like, oh, you're going to do surgery on my dog, can you kind of explain what what you're actually doing to get, to get it where it needs to be?
1: Yeah. So um, first is timing in these females is super important and that's probably the most important thing is timing when you do the insemination. With frozen semen, you have about 12 to 24 hours that that semens going to live in the female. So if you don't time it appropriately that she has eggs available for it to fertilize in that 12 to 24 hours, you're not going to get that female pregnant. So we use progesterone values to measure when that happens. Um, so what I recommend for people to do is, as soon as your female comes into heat, that you want to use, take her in um, and get a vaginal cytology done, which is what they swab the vagina and look at those cells under the microscope, and that allows them to tell when she's becoming into standing heat. Um, what it's called cornified cells that you'll see on the cytology, and they kind of look like corn flakes. That when those start to show up, that's when we start to run progesterone values to key in more accurately where she's at in her cycle. Um, Normally if she's not in standing heat, they're kind of egg looking cells on cytology. So once we start to see those cornflake type cells, we'll run a progesterone and those are going to get us to the point where we can time her down to a T. Um, So two on a progesterone, it typically coincides with what's called an LH surge. And what that is, is where the hormones in her body are going to trigger ovulation with that female. So what we say is two days after the LH surge is when a female ovulates. And two days later is when those eggs are fertile so dogs are a little bit different they ovulate their eggs and they're not able to be fertilized for two more days after ovulation
0: well that's what i was going to ask you so the you know i've always been told or or under the thing seven days coming in seven days in seven days out but in that seven days there is a smaller window for the standing is that correct
1: Right. And every female is different. There are some females that are ready to breed that are actually hitting their LH surge like three or four days into the heat cycle. Um, So when it comes down to using frozen, I always err on the side of caution. And that's why I tell you to bring your female in and start getting those tests run as soon as possible because we don't want to miss that. Mm -hmm. You know, seven days is probably the average, but like I said, I've had some females that, um, when we did reproductive work at the last clinic I worked at, um, we had one female I think was like 28 days into her cycle before she was ready to actually breed. So, everyone can be different, um, and that that helps us kind of pinpoint everything down with those progesterones.
0: So, let's say that I cannot, I can't, I can't get to the vet to have her checked when I get up there, is that something you guys do also, or I have to request it to make sure that we're not wasting that straw?
1: Yeah, and we actually can board dogs, so some people will ask us if they're going to use frozen semen to keep the dog, run those progesterones on them, and they'll stay with us until they're ready to be bred, Um, because if you're living far away, it's not really practical for you to Come up here every day and get those run. Um, so we do do that too.
0: Right, I get it. <clears throat> and then, so <clears throat> I, I want to go back to the collection part because as you're talking, like um, my brain's kind of in spin mode. How many times, like, does people get their dogs collected multiple times, or is this like a mostly people do one time thing? How does that work?
1: Yeah, um, they definitely do multiple times. And for us, you know, the first collection is full price because we're doing a lot. There's a lot of paperwork involved with that and sending it out and everything there. And then any subsequent collections we do at half price um, so that you those straws will all be added to your straws at the storage facility. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you definitely can. Um, sometimes, you know, Sometimes people only want to have a few breedings on their dog, and that's all they want. So they'll just do one collection. But some people want to have a bunch of breedings available, and then they'll do multiple
0: collections. And, you know, I know we get into the genetics part of it, but I've got to ask this question since you're the professional. A lot of people feel like when you go to semen dogs, you're not getting the same. And when you start asking them, well, why do you think that it's the same genetics, it's the same DNA, they really can't give you an answer. And I do know that, uh, one of the semen dogs that I had, um, I was not happy with at all, which, you know, it could have just been the dog, you know, it could have just been, that's the way it is. So what, have you actually bred yours this way? And what is your thoughts on that?
1: Um, well, all of it's kind of, you know, it depends what genetics you get in that collection, but, um, it's not really any different than a live breeding would be. Mm-hmm. It's all randomized. Um, so I can't say that it would be any different. Maybe that dog's just not as good of a reproducer as we hoped, um, I think that probably happens more often than not. It may be a great dog, and it just doesn't reproduce as well. And we've got frozen semen on it because it was a great dog, but it doesn't seem like genetically it's reproducing as well. It shouldn't have anything to do with whether it's frozen or not. It's all the same chance genetically.
0: Right. <clears throat> all right, Aaron, is there, is there anything we've left off? Is there anything that that we didn't go over? I know I was kind of asking some questions in there and may have foed you off a little bit.
1: Um, yeah, just to touch base back on the timing on the surgical AI and stuff. Um, so when you do get it down to when the females actually ovulated and when we were a couple of days after ovulation, um, we'll typically schedule those dogs for surgical ex- insemination the sixth day after the LH surge. And what that involves is we actually make a small incision in the abdomen, exteriorize the uterus, and deposit the semen directly into the uterus, mm-hmm. put everything back in, sew them back up. Um, the benefit of places that have a scope is that they can actually do this non-invasively while the and they can pass that scope in and then pass a catheter through the cervix and put the semen in directly that way. So it's less invasive, and and ultimately that's where our practice would like to be able to go, but um, feasibly, financially-wise, until we get more um, reproductive work. It's just not an option at this point in time, so we do the surgical. But um, if that's something people are interested in doing, there are places that have scopes to do it non-invasively. And there are places all over the country that do ai work um you just kind of have to look around but on zoetis's website uh, zoetis free center they will actually list all the free centers in the us on their website you can check by state and if you do have semen frozen by a zoetis free center and it goes to zoetis in its store in missouri you can ship that semen for a flat rate of $100 to any of those. So it does save you a lot on shipping. It comes down to when you go to use it. So say you had your dog collected with me. Somebody wants to use the semen in Kentucky. They can look up a place in Kentucky that's a Zoetis Free Center and have it shipped there. And they can do all of that stuff for you. So
0: so just for the listener, will you spell Zoetis so we can, if they want to look sure. it up, they're typing it incorrectly.
1: Z o e
0: t i s. Simple enough. So yeah, that way. Because <laughs> yeah. I'd be one of those people that be I'd be I'd be trying to sound it out and be like, yeah, that don't that's not typing. That's not coming up right. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. So they're called Zoetis Free Centers and um, those are just all people that went through the same training that I did. Mm-hmm. So through their specific training, and they'll be able to. Do all of the things that we do. So, if you're not close to West Virginia, you know there are other places available to you.
0: And back to the the surgical on the female when when you do that process, what is the recovery time for her? Is it a couple of days? Is it how invasive is that process?
1: Yeah, um, unfortunately, with surgical, you know, we still have to cut open through the abdomen, so it's probably about a seven to ten day healing up process with Mm -hmm. that. So that is the downfall of having a surgical AI is that seven to ten days where you're going to have to keep her calm, keep her from running around, and and things like that.
0: And if, if you go this route, is there any chance that it messes with her reproductive system down the road?
1: No, we haven't seen that, especially... As long as people are doing everything sterilely, which I would hope if you're going to a veterinarian they are. Mm. But you um, know I mean, we haven't seen any complications. Some, some people have done it multiple times, so.
0: So I could get. So I could actually AI a female multiple times, and it wouldn't. It wouldn't affect her. Nope. Okay. Nope. Yeah, I think. I think that would be a big. Um, you don't definitely don't want to have to spay them after you do that, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. All right. On the AI part, anything that comes to mind or we've left, I know I asked you that before, but just to, just to double check that we haven't left anything out.
1: Um, I guess I could touch a little bit on chilled semen, too. So if you, I tell people, if you're going to have your dog collected and froze, try to reserve those frozen straws for when the dog's passed away, and that's the only thing you've got left. Um, Or, you know, they're not fertile anymore, and that's all you've got left. Because you can have semen collected, fresh semen, and say you've got a female across the country, someone wants to breed to your dog, you can get it collected, and it's called fresh chilled, where we don't freeze it, but we chill it and we it directly to them that semen is going to last for 5 to 7 days so um, that's a better option for if your male is still fertile and around to ship that out because they can actually use that vaginally AIing and it's a lot less invasive and you're going to have a better success rate and less money involved than in a frozen semen.
0: Alright just to make sure that I understand that and I, I'm clear as mud on this one So, if your dog is still able to breed naturally, you should do that up until the point where the the semen count's low, he's not producing, or the dog's passed away. We're not wasting those straws, or I don't want to say wasting, but we're not utilizing those straws when we have the dog itself.
1: Right, because, you know, chilled semen is going to be easier to get a female pregnant with than frozen. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, you're not going to lose as many, every time we freeze semen, we are going to inevitably lose some of it. Some of it's not going to survive the process. So um, the chilled, we're not drastically doing that temperature change. And so we're not going to lose as much with that. And it's going to be more viable for longer. Whereas I said, the frozen, 12 to 24 hours, you know, your, your fresh chilled semen, you might be able to use it It might stay alive in that female three to five days, so you have a bigger window to use to get her pregnant.
0: Got it, I got it. So, if somebody in Idaho wanted to breed to my dog, bring him to you. You take care of that, chill it, send it to them. They'd pick their, they go to their vet and get it um, inseminated. However, they decided to do it. That's the process, correct?
1: Yes, and I mean, you would still time that female when you're going to breed her, you know, most run progesterones, and, you know, once she hits her LH surge, you need to contact the stud owner and say, hey, she's going to be ready to breed in four days, so that way we can get him collected and shipped out, so that when it gets there to you, you can directly, your vet can directly inseminate the dog at the right time.
0: Got it. Well. Yeah, I mean that answers a lot of questions for me and like I said I'm I'm definitely interested in in having one of mine, maybe even two of mine collected. Um so yeah, I think we're going to try that out anyway.
1: It's it's worth it. I mean, don't sit on it and if you've got a nice dog, I know we we had a really great dog and we waited and waited and then by the time we decided hey we should have collected him it was too late and now you know we don't have anything off of him and so don't make that mistake get it done have it available even if you never end up using it at least you didn't miss out on an opportunity
0: right yeah yeah my my biggest fear of course i've bred my the one that i won't collect it. i've bred him three times getting ready to make it forward this year and he produces pretty good. Um, so I'm not I'm not worried about uh, breeding him, saving the straws and then down the road he's not producing and I've just got five straws that so what hap- what happens? Let's say that let's say that happens. Let's say that you got somebody that has had got five straws and they end up the dog, they have bred two of the straws, and they they end up saying, okay, well, this dog's not producing like I want, like what you said before. The dog's just not reproducing. What do you do with the other straw? Do you, instead of me paying the storage fee, do they just destroy that? How does that work?
1: Yeah, if you decide that you don't want it anymore, um, they send you a form to fill out basically saying, hey, I want this thrown out, um, and you sign off on it, and then you don't have to pay the storage anymore. They just throw it away, so... I mean, they can do that.
0: Okay, yeah. I mean, hopefully you've done your research and at least bred the dog a couple of times to know that beforehand, right? Yeah,
1: and that's the other thing I was going to say. It is it is easier to <clears throat> collect a male that has bred already because they do kind of understand the process and know what's going on. If you're bringing in a male that's never bred a female before, Sometimes they get shy and they don't collect as well, and we have to bring them back in a second time to see if they'll collect better if as they're more comfortable and understand the process.
0: And I guess to wrap that up, um, you don't have to give me an exact figure, but what what's it going to around about? What's it going to cost me to have a dog collected the – the semen sent to Missouri to be frozen, and a yearly, I'm assuming there's a yearly fee for the storage. How, how what are we looking at? $750,000, how does that? Uh,
1: our clinic charges four thirty-five for the collection analysis, freezing, shipping to this, the storage facility. Um, that includes your exam, all the things I talked about on here, and then, like I said, shipping it to the storage facility long-term. Um, the storage facility will charge around $116 a year per stud. That's for an unlimited number of straws. So some places will charge you by the straw, like how many you have. They'll charge based on that. Um, Zoetis is different in that they, it's the same regardless. You could have two straws there. You could have 200 straws. It's the same price. Um, and then beyond that, like I said, if you ship it out to another Zoetis. Facility to use, it's a hundred dollars flat rate shipping. That's where they usually get you. Other places is when you're shipping it out, that can be really pricey because they're having to use that special storage container to ship it, and that's where we get higher costs involved. Um, now, if you don't have a Zoetis store, like a Zoetis facility near you, and you still have somebody there that does reproductive work, they'll still ship it to them. It's just going to cost you more.
0: So you're looking at 550 bucks basically and when i pay you to collect uh will the zoetis will they send me a bill for the f- the first year of storage um
1: yeah so um i tell people cuz i i mean i've been through this process myself before i we started doing it i took my dog up to ohio had him collected at ohio state and they did all the same thing it takes Zoetis probably two or three months to get to caught up with their billing. So your semen will be there
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> way before that, yeah. and it's fine. It's okay. Don't freak out. But um, they won't bill you for another two or three months for the f- initial storage. So it doesn't mean, oh, my gosh, 3 it's been three months, and I haven't gotten a bill. They don't have it. It's gone. It's, it's there. It just takes them that long to catch up with their billing. Nice. So.
0: Yeah. I mean t- for, so for me in what I had imagined it was going to cost is way less than what it I mean it's way less than what I imagined it was going to be.
1: And every place is going to be different. Um we're you know we're in rural West Virginia so we kind of price according to our clientele too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, if you're going out to Virginia tech or mm-hmm. in the city or something, you're going <laughs> to probably pay close to a thousand for all of that.
0: It's $1,500. Um, yep. Yeah. Cause they so. have to do every other test on your dog before you can have it done. So, yeah. Cause that's like I said, that's been a, um, one of the reasons I haven't done it because I thought that was extremely high at the time.
1: And then, um, you know, you'll have the brucellosis cost involved too, mm-hmm. which it, it usually runs around like a hundred to hundred twenty dollars to send that off to the lab. But um, that it's really in the grand scheme of things, if you've got a good dog, it's it's worth it um, in that that regard. So,
0: yeah. Well, well, let's talk some dogs in. <clears throat> let's talk about those blue dogs. I see, Eric. I, I will tell you. I don't. I don't know if. Um, uh, if Ariel said anything or not, but <clears throat> the Willie dog that she has. mm mm-hmm. um, And I know he come out of Ohio, correct? Kentucky. Kentucky, yeah. Willie yep. Willie and Ledoux, Is Yes. Is that right? Yeah. brothers. Um, yeah, th- they, they are put up right. Uh, I like the way they're built. They're good. They've got good legs underneath them. They're not a heavy-made hound. Um, they're you know their chest and in mid is is not f- floppy, and you know lo- what what you see like they're put up good. They have good feet on them, good length to them. Um, I really like the, and I told Ariel here when she was here a couple, you know, last month. Um, the color of Willie reminds me of a lot of the Cameron dogs that I had. Um, they they was really dark, had the dark rich blue to them. The good mahogany over the eyes um, had a lot of the color that that, that my camera dogs had.
1: Yeah, those um, we had a brother to Willie and Ledoux named Crook. Um, our friend has him now, Bradley. But um, he um, they came out of Kentucky mm-hmm. and from a guy who Greg Sumter he breeds a heavy Smoky River line of blue ticks but i've been really impressed with that litter i mean we we had all three males from the litter between ariel and and ourselves um mm. and they've just done great i mean greg breeds coon dogs but inadvertently they're really good bear dogs too so
0: well the smoky um, river line has produced some great bear dogs throughout the years
1: yeah and, and that's kind of what we Primarily I've bred off of the Smoky River lines. Um, that's kind of what suited us the best. Mm-hmm. Just as an overall package of a dog. To have the nose and the track speed. Just, I think they're more of an overall package. Um, you, we'll mix some other lines in here and there to get a little bit more tree or this or that. But we primarily stick with mostly Smoky River.
0: Yeah, I think Ariel had... Uh, she had... So Waylon, did Waylon come from you? Yes. Yeah. Yep. She she had sent me a, a copy of the paper. So, what what led Chris to like be what what led him to the Blue Ticks? Like, what was his his fascination or his loyalty to them?
1: Um, uh, Bobby East up in Virginia. He would hunt with him. I don't know if you've heard of him, oh, but yeah. yeah. Um, he had this line of blue ticks and well actually Chris's first blue tick that he got that he really we kind of made the cornerstone of our kennel buddy was a sibling to Bobby's female Jenny um, and both of those dogs were just out of this world bear dogs and Buddy was a really good coon dog too but he was then a, that once in a lifetime dog that you just don't ever get another one like it and so you know chris got that once in a lifetime dog when he was 17 years old and Mm -hmm. (laughs) he stuck with that line of blue ticks since then and um but he hunted with bobby a good bit bear hunting when he was young and he got a couple dogs from bobby and they just we've always had good luck with that line of dogs and just been what we found worked best for us and have kept, kept it going since then.
0: Right. <clears throat> so how many how many hounds are y'all holding right now? You don't want to hear what mine we, are.
1: <laughs> we have 11, and five of those are eight-month-old and seven-month-old puppies. So
0: mm-hmm. we,
1: um, we have a litter, a lion bred litter, off of some of these dogs. Um, Buddy and Jenny are the grandparents to that litter, um that we kept two of the five and then we actually raised a litter for a good friend of ours in new me- from new mexico um and he, out there he uh, sent his field at trouble um getting pups out of he sent it to us because he thought that the best thing with me being a vet and being able to Take care of everything. and it's probably good he did. She had a uterine torsion um, where her uterus actually flipped mm. and the puppies couldn't come out. So she had to have an emergency C-section. And we had six puppies that lived out of that litter. He took three of them. We took three of them. So we've got three three of those. Those are um, heavy Buzz Anderson
0: Three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I know that uh, when you talk about Bobby... Um, they bred a lot of the hammer lines back into that too. Um, with some some of that breeding, so that they seem to. I knew some guys way back that had some of that some of those crosses. So that's kind of interesting. I hadn't heard Bobby's name in a while, so that's kind of interesting that you you said that. Yeah, um, his son
1: Tommy still
0: has some. Tommy, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, um, and
1: we're. We're so close with them. Um, and in fact, Tommy got one of the puppies for this long-bred cross, so he's got some of his old blood back. But yeah, they just f- had a phenomenal line of dogs, in my opinion, and they've been the kind of... People will always say blue ticks are boohooers, but I don't think these ones are. They They can take a cold track and just lift their head up and run with it, and that's kind of what drew us to them is that they're not sitting on a track taking forever to work it like they can take that old track and and go with it
0: yeah i don't care what what breed or bloodline or breed what breed you are in there are there there are boohooers in every bloodline yeah um you know of course i had i had the cameron dogs at one point for years um and they're the same one. Well, I mean, they could take a cold track or take a good track and run it. They they just didn't have the speed, and I've said this numerous times. They caught as many bear as my other dogs. But where my walker dogs, uh, Ring and Smokey and Sam, flat out run one down in in an hour, you know, it took Bell and Clyde an hour and a half, two hours. To, I mean, so, you know, you're just looking at the difference in speed. The The dogs yeah. treat bear. Like, they treat a lot of bear, and they trailed Clyde, which was my male dog, um, and I've said this. Clyde has been he was he's been the coldest nosed dog that I've owned. And I've had some dogs that could flat out trail and Clyde could out trail them. And you know, Cameron dog, Blue Dog. And I wished that I wished and when actually this is what that's kinda funny that this has come up because it just dawned on me. The AI process started when I had the camera dogs. And that, I wanted to have Clyde collected, and I did not. He and he ended up getting um, taking an injury at six years. He, he stayed beat up, like had way too much high in about him. He <laughs> stayed beat up, and at six years old, <clears throat> he got his intestines torn. So the vet went in, sewed him up, and you know even though i was keeping him in the house i was keeping him in the basement he ended up actually doing something to cause it to a pinhole and we didn't know and he ended up dying from that at six years old now Belle lived till she was 12 but i never could find a dog that suited me like clyde to breed Belle back to um and of course in at this time i'm i'm still hunting my walker dogs i had a I had a uh, a couple english dogs from an an old guy that hunts here who's who's passed away so it wasn't a priority but it was always in the back of my mind and that actually started with clyde so that's I and mean, that's kind of crazy that we're having this conversation and that's kind of just smacking me in the face that that's how far back it's been and that's been so clyde or Bell died in two thousand and uh 13, 14 uh she was born in two yeah so she she was twelve so she'd have, she'd have died in two thousand twelve Thir- yeah twelve um and then clyde died she was twelve years old and clyde clyde had died several years before that, so that was a mistake that I made if I had that to do over, I would still have some of that Cameron blood in my in my pack today, and I just don't have it,
1: yeah and <clears throat> Back to like the track dogs, I think sometimes it's not a matter of if they have the speed, but if they have the brain to move a track. Mm -hmm. I think that's sometimes what really allows them to move a cold track with speed is more brains than the speed itself. Because I've seen some dogs that, you know, I've watched them run and they're fast dogs, but they just didn't have the brain to really work that old track and, and we've, we've tried some different lines of dogs and different blue ticks that we've seen that with. And, I mean, I've seen walker dogs with cold noses. People always are saying walker dogs are hot-nosed. I've seen some good cold-nosed walker dogs. It's just all dependent on the line, and there's something in each breed for everyone, and there's good and bad in every single breed. So.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. So before we wrap this up, what what was your favorite hunt this year?
1: Um, oh man. <laughs> no, wait, are you,
0: Now you're, I got to ask you this. So being a vet, I mean, I know Garrett is limited. Um, he gets to hunt with us Thursday, Friday, and Saturdays. Uh, training season, he can hunt Sundays. So he's got a job now where he can, he's got some time off. And that was one of the reasons that he took the job. So you being a vet, like, do you get um, the, the amount of hunting in that you that you actually want to do?
1: Uh, no, not as much as I wish I could. Um, and then I had our daughter this year in September, so I didn't get to do near the hunting that I wanted to. I mean, normally I'm out there. All, well, I'll, well, I'll take a week off in December usually, and I'll be out there with the dogs. I hate sitting in the truck. I have to walk. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been, this year was kind of hard for me because when I did get to go, I was in the truck with, with our daughter mm-hmm. and it was a little bit cabin fever like but um, yeah it, it does make it harder because we have a lot of bear dogs around our area too so I don't typically get to take a lot of December off because we need help sewing all of those dogs up mm-hmm. um, but yeah I mean I wish I could usually I'm off Fridays and um, usually Saturday and Sunday so I, I usually get out on the weekends when I can but this year's been a little bit different with of having a newborn. Um, but I think probably my favorite hunt this year. Ariel was actually on that hunt. And uh, we. We rigged a track. Turned loose the dogs. And they ended up tree Off of a logging road. Um, and I was able to take our daughter Deanna. To her first bear tree. She was only a couple months old. So that was probably my favorite. She she fell asleep at the tree. <laughs> if you can believe that. With all the dogs barking. But uh it's that was a special moment.
0: Yes. Well, the first tree always is the first tree. So while we're talking about that, tell me about your first bear tree.
1: Um, that was probably, let me see. It was probably back in 2011 or 12 when I went to my first bear tree. Um, it was with Chris's dog buddy and we had another dog named Gemma at the time. She's passed away, but, um, that was the first bear tree I ever went to, and I got lucky and we didn't have to walk that far, so um but then you know, shortly after that, I moved to Mississippi, and so mm-hmm. I didn't get to go bear hunting very much before I really got more into the bear hunting since we moved back from Mississippi because I hadn't gotten to go too much before then.
0: What's your favorite thing about bear hunting?
1: uh, I like. Just being able to be out there with the dogs and there's so much scenery. I don't know if people would go bear hunting, you could just the things that you see out there and the scenery and the moments you can just take in. I think that's worth more than anything. I mean, just seeing a bear in the trees is is obviously the goal at the end of the day, but the journey along the way is, is the fun part about it. And it's a lot of walking, but it definitely keeps you in shape.
0: Yeah. I mean, and that, and that's one thing people don't realize. And we talked about this on a previous podcast. That it's everything leading up to that, that's to, to the tree. Like, yes, that's yeah. the end goal is for your dogs to be able to, you know, run, trail, tree, bay, the game. But it's, you know, it's the whole process. It's the whole, you know, it's, and I've, this is me, it's taking that puppy from, from the right when it's born. And spending, you know, the time with those pups and raising those pups and going from the training process to get them, to, getting them going and running, and getting them running and treeing. and then next thing you know, they're catching game by themselves. Um, that that's my favorite part of it is watching the young dogs mature um, and seeing their abilities, and th- that's the thing for me. But yes, it's from it's everything from from start to that to that end for me and like you said you see country that most people don't see you're in places that most people don't dare walk (laughs) like you know we were in a place this year that i i don't know that anybody's climbed up in that mess um i mean it was a straight straight up rock fate i mean it was nothing but rocks and rocks and rocks and rocks and we literally stair-step mountain climbed up the face of this um place that that we was treated in and i mean people just don't go there
1: yeah bear hunting's it's tough it'll (laughs) it'll bring out the grit in you for sure and that we kind of had a similar experience you know when you're talking about seeing your puppies succeed and those puppies that i talked about the litter we raised um chris took them out this december and he was free casting them and he called call them crazy because they're puppies, but he said they, they opened up, and he was like, uh, I don't know. I don't know what this is. And the old dogs went in there, and they opened up, and he's like, well? And they ended up actually finding a bear in a brush pile and mm. bumping that bear out and training it. So that's that's the reward at the end of the day. I mean, to take your line of dogs, breed them, train them, and see them do that, like, that's that's what makes it worth it.
0: Yeah. It it's very rewarding, Um, and it's not for everybody. That's what I guess that comes into play. That it's you know it's not, and it's tough. It is a very 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 tough. um, I don't want to call it a hobby. It's it's a tough lifestyle. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, yeah, Yeah.
1: definitely.
0: well, Aaron, I've taken up enough of your time. I really appreciate you running us through this process. Um, like I said, I've had questions I've, I've always wanted to know, and I've never really been able to sit down and talk to somebody that, you know, can give me the straight-up information. So hopefully uh, this spreads out to a lot more people. Um, you know, the coon hunting world does this uh, quite a bit, um, and I know there's big game people that do it. But I don't have those contacts or I don't have those people to sit down and talk to. So I really appreciate your time.
1: Absolutely. I'm happy to be here.
0: All right. Well, thank you for helping us teach, train, and learn.